Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we all can do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is April the 30th, 2019. This is episode 2428 of the Survival Podcast. And usually this is a Just Jack show. We're going to talk a little bit later in the show uh, after the interview today about how there might be more Just Jack shows in the future, and I want your feedback on that. We'll save that till after the interview today, though. Uh, I have a guy coming on today that it just made sense to work in. I had to interview him last week while I was doing prep for the workshop where we built the big pond in our backyard. And uh, so I couldn't run it last week. I already have a guest scheduled for Wednesday this week, so we'll double-stack interviews today. Corey McElroy is our guest today. He's the founder of Aquarium Co-op. That's a tropical fish-based business. They specialize in fish, plants, accessories, tanks, lighting, um, chemicals, food, all the stuff that goes along with the hobby of tropical fish keeping. Now, many of you guys that listen to this show, you guys know I am a fish geek. I have fish all over my property, all over my house. It's a thing for me. I talk about it occasionally on the air, but generally from the standpoint of aquaponics, aquatics, food production, sometimes a little bit from you know side hustle businesses that can be handled by people that have a few tanks. But I don't really dig deep into it because this is the Survival Podcast. It is not the Home Fish Aquarium Podcast. So you might wonder why I have Corey coming on today. I have him coming on to talk about mostly business principles. I found Corey about a year ago, I guess, and I've been messing with fish for, God, since I was in high school, and I'm in my late 40s now. That sounds terrible when you say it that way. Anyway, um, and so I don't tend to find people and go, wow, I can really learn a lot from this person about fish. I do love fish because you learn something new every day. When I found Corey's channel, I learned so much so fast, I couldn't believe how much I didn't know. But along the way, he kept dropping these little nuggets of business principles. And then one day, he did a show, basically, uh, or a video, and he rolls them into a podcast about if you want to own a fish store. For all the people that follow him, the guy's got like 230-plus thousand YouTube subscribers. If you want to own a fish store, here's the things that you need to think about, that you need to do. Here's how you actually get this done. And the business principles that came out, were so on par with what I teach here. I was like, i got to get this guy in the air. And you know that we, you know, we talk about modern survivalism here, which is really about building a resilient lifestyle through lifestyle design. Yeah, we prepare for you know hurricanes and tornadoes and storms and uh, all types of things with the basic preparedness component to it, but we also look at how do we build a resilient life? How do we provide a lot of our own food? How do we eat healthier? How do we take care of ourselves? And how do we create freedom in our lives? And one of the greatest ways to create freedom in your life, and you know I've been a huge advocate of this, guys, for, I guess, almost 11 years now that we've been doing this show. And long before that, I was teaching that principle in my work. Own a business. Own a business. Don't have the business on you. You own a business. And I've tried to be kind of an embodiment of that for the audience here. Like, this is what I do. I reveal everything I do about my business. What I heard Corey doing was the same thing. Then something else happened. I went to Aquashell, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the episode with Corey today. And I saw something that I seldom see happen. Corey has a huge following. And this was a huge show. 
with thousands of people in and out the door all day long. Tons of people wanted to meet Corey. They just wanted to meet him, say hello, shake his hand, because he's helped so many people. I watched him for two and a half days stand on his feet and never fail to talk to a single person. I don't mean to be egotistical. I'm telling you the affinity I have here for this guy, so you guys understand why I brought him on. The only person, and I'm not saying I'm the only person that's done it, the only person I've seen do that other than him is me. When I was doing a lot of the prepper conventions and stuff like that, there'd be a lot of people waiting to talk to me. I felt like if you were there, you came to talk to me, that's why I'm there, let's go. We're going to do it. Now, the difference with me is, you know, Corey stays till the end of the show, about 4 o'clock, I'm like, hey, we're going to the bar, right? Um, and But then, you know, I'll be up till way past the show's over and, and making myself available to people. When I see someone willing to do that, I know I'm dealing with someone that, that shares my values. So between the business principles and the values that we share, I felt this was a guy that I needed to bring on the show. So I did something to make today's show happen that I don't do very often. I went out and got the guest. We don't really do that. It was like, here's a guest form, fill it out. We stay booked months out. Very seldom that I go recruit a guest. So I want you guys to understand that, yeah, this guy's talking about tropical fish and stuff like that. But, but, this is one of the best discussions you're going to hear on the principles of business ownership that we've ever done. I've already done the interview, so I can tell you that confidently. That's what you're going to get today. Before I bring Corey on, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is BulkAmmo.com. Bulk ammo is the place I get my ammo. You should too. Why? Because driving to get ammo sucks, just to be blunt. When you can order your ammo, and before you can eat, you, you almost forgot you did it, and next thing you know, there's a knock on the door. as the postman. He's got your ammo for you, and you ordered it Monday, and you're looking at it on Wednesday, and you weren't going to get out to the store until Saturday. It just makes sense, and you save money. They've got it all, all the common calibers and some of the not-so-common calibers. Buy your ammo in bulk because without ammo, your gun is what? A very expensive club. Check it out at BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, J.M. Bullion. I have been saying for 11 years on the air now, if you do not have precious metal in your long-term plan, you are making a mistake. I'm not one of these guys, get rid of the money, it's all going to be worthless. No, I like money. I hope you do too. But I do believe in insuring my wealth. And I look at silver and gold as a wealth assurance program. I recommend that in your long-term planning, you have 5% to 10% of your net wealth in precious metals. I recommend that it be metal you can put your hand on. I don't want, recommend putting it into an IRA. I recommend having it where you can get your hands on it and where you can transfer it. It's the most anonymous form of wealth mankind has ever known. So that if you want to hand it down to your heirs, it's between you, them, and the fence posts, as we say in Texas. Where do you get your precious metal? J.M. Bullion. Why? Free shipping on all orders. Discounts for members of my members' support brigade. And if there ever is a problem, and there just hasn't been for years, but you know, there's been a few things here and there popped up, I can have the president of that company in contact with me by email in a matter of minutes. He responds. I've had him respond to me while getting on an airplane. i got to get on a plane now. Don't worry. I will take care of this customer when I get off. And he's always kept his word to me. He's been with us now eight years. I can't think of another company I can recommend as strongly as Jam Bullion for buying your precious metal because all of what I just said. Discount for members, personal care from the owner, and some of the best pricing online with free shipping right to your door. 
with that, let's go ahead dive into today's episode. I want to bring on a guy I, I'm just really stoked that I got to meet. Uh, hopefully we have a long-term uh, relationship going on here where we'll be able to have him back to talk about other things. Because the guy's even, with, with you know being in the, the world of tropical fish and all, he's even done a lot of consulting with like fish farms and aquaponics and stuff like that. So who knows, maybe we'll have him come back in and talk about that at some point. But with that, my good pleasure to introduce to this audience, Corey McElroy of Aquarium Co-op. Hey, Corey, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me. Man, I have been a, a follower of yours on YouTube for a while. I've, I've been messing around with fish as a hobby for about 20 years. And i, I got to tell you, you are one of the people that I've learned the most from. And, and so I really appreciate all the work you do and how much you dedicate yourself to teaching people. And then when I started hearing you talk about business principles, I'm like, okay, i got to get this guy on the show. Like, I can't bring a guy on just to talk about fish on a, mm -hmm. a, you know, a modern survival podcast that's you know, all things uh, building a resilient life. But, man, if I can marry fish to building a business, that's something we talk about all the time here. But can you take us back? Let's take us back to Corey before we was fish Corey, right? Like, mm -hmm. what, what was your background? Like, I don't know, take us back to, like, spacing out in study hall in high school, and you got to figure out what to do with your life, and how's, yeah. how's that all work out? So in, in high school, I thought I wanted to be computer programmer, kind of computer nerd guy. So my foreign language, I actually took uh, Pascal and C++ to learn how to program instead of learning a foreign language. Mm. And I also fell in love with uh, the stock market game and business class. And that happened, I think, freshman year in high school. And it turned out I really fell in love with that. So I took every business class I could, including student store and all that. And I actually graduated high school with marketing honors, although I didn't use that at all. Once I got out of high school, I actually rolled right into community college, network administration. And you know, by the time I was, I think I'm still only a few credits from completing that. But what I realized was, You know, I had a very good teacher there that taught me that whatever we teach you today will be obsolete by the time you ever need it. So we're going to teach you how to Google things and stuff like that. And that was great knowledge. And the best class I ever took out of uh, community college was actually typing. I type incredibly fast, which I've used that skill for the rest of my life at this point. But I ended up getting away from it because I didn't want to become the corporate um, kind of lackey of like, oh, go up to the eighth floor. Someone's email's not working. And that's really what you kind of saw these people getting the jobs out of the program they were getting into instead of this, oh, we're going to get into what I like, was more like building the computers and that kind of stuff. And so I actually got away from that and uh, ended up getting into the medical field a little bit. And it was actually just a job that um, my cousin had worked at, and it was uh, Lynn Care, basically. And we delivered medical oxygen to patients, and they would be getting out of the hospital. And so you're kind of on call all the time, which I actually enjoy working a lot. So that wasn't so bad, but I was accumulating all this money and uh, you know, kind of had to figure something to do with it. But I, during that process, I really fell in love with working with the disabled and the elderly and basically anyone that um, – would show me, I guess, respect and that kind of stuff, like had value in what I was teaching them. I really fell in love with that aspect of it. Awesome, man. So then eventually you ended up working in the pet industry, fish specifically, kind of like eventually you ended up creating the business we're here to talk about today, Aquarium Co-op. How long did you work in that industry before you said, like, I'm going to do this as a business and go out on my own? Yeah, so I I think all told was about five years. Uh, at the very beginning, I actually worked for like store credit for a store, mm -hmm. and then as my kind of my marketing, my business 
sense kind of kicked in. I ended up running that store after being there about 14, 18 months, somewhere in there, you know, more and more control as I did better was given to me. And it was around the third year where a lot of customers were like, why are you still here? You should be on to much bigger and better things than what you're doing right now. And me at the time, I would have been like 27 or so. And I, I didn't know any better to like, oh, maybe I could do a thing. And so eventually I had a good buddy who was doing very well, um, and he, he believed in me as well. He's like, you have to do something bigger than this. Like, everyone drives for very far away to come see you and do all these things. And he said, we should open up our own fish store. And he's like, I've got the money to do it. You've got the skills. Like, you're clearly running the store. And I, I told him, I was like, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a very safe bet because I'm, in general, very safe when it comes to uh, my income and just the way I live and that kind of stuff. And so I said, well, let's kind of table it for a year or so. And if it still makes sense we'll start actually looking into it. Because I didn't want it to be like, here's this lump sum of $50,000, I run into the ground, and then that was like, a, oh, that was, you know, that was year 28 of my life, and now I'm moving on with bankruptcy or something. And so we were a year later, and it's still, the customers are still clamoring, why won't you do better? And I was, at that point, I was being limited by where I was. It was kind of a, a worse location, and the business owner liked to pull the money back out of the business instead of putting it back in to grow it. And so... That's where we, you know, they're like, we would sell, we'd order 50 neon tetras, which is a very common fish in the industry, and we'd sell it out in two days, and then there'd be five days until the next shipment would come where we don't have it, and it would be like, well, let's order 100 this time. Oh, no, no, we only spend this much. And so after being limited and giving that response to customers, a it was almost like a mutiny thing going on, so then we spent the next year uh, kind of collecting, buying, I, I basically was buying out aquarium shops that were closing, which was you know, it seemed like a bad omen. I would swoop in, buy what's <laughs> left over, you know, and like, oh, I'm going to go into this. And the whole time, you know, I'm thinking I'm pretty good at social media and, you know, I, I can do websites because I know the coding aspects. So I know these aspects. And my mind was like, I just can't understand why fish stores or pet stores in general are old school and don't embrace technology. Like even the register they were using was you would just straight in put in the price it, we wouldn't scan bar it's like one step away like from pulling a bar down at the end of each thing right you know yes it was just <laughs> it was mind-blowing to me and as i kind of analyze the market i go either i'm really right and this market is super soft and i'm gonna do it really well or there's this giant thing that i don't see that is gonna send me straight into bankruptcy and i always realize when you think you're the smartest person in the room you have to f like check yourself and wait or am I the dumbest person in the room for thinking I know more than everyone right now? And so that eventually led to the long journey where we are today. So you you definitely have a huge online presence. Let's start out with, though, like, tell us about that first store you opened, the one you still have now, the brick-and-mortar side of it, like mm -hmm. how you found a location um, and, and, you know, how you I guess you started with that seed inventory that you picked up and kind of mm -hmm. what it's turned into. Yeah, so we started, I knew there was a few things. So being a hobbyist, so I was, I actually kept fish and I worked at a store, but while working there, I was still passionate about it. So I was a consumer as well as a seller at that point. And I would go shop at fish stores and I had different experiences that kind of shaped what I would never let my business be. And I think a lot of us do that in business where, oh, I had this bad experience. If I was to do it, I would never let that happen. And so these things kind of imprinted on me. And one was, one time, my wife and I had gone to uh, a pet store, and they were going to close at 5 o'clock. 
and we had driven pretty far and we were on the way back from a an actually a uh, a local like club meeting you know so we went to the club and it's about fish and then on the way back home we were going to stop and well known every store knows about it and we had rolled up right about you know 4:45 15 minutes before they closed and the second we walked through the door was when the countdown started like we're closing in 15 minutes you need to be quick and then at you know 10 minutes we're closing in 10 minutes and so at about 7 minutes left and they're literally counting it down by every one or two minutes uh. we're like great we would like these fish my wife wants these fish specifically and they come over and they say oh i'm sorry it's too close to closing we can't catch these fish and i was so flabbergasted that you know we weren't just a customer <laughs> like oh we're just looking you know yeah. like we're wanting to spend money and that that's how the transaction works like and it wasn't like an obscene amount of money. It wasn't small. It probably would have been about $30. And, right. you know, but I just feel weird that, like, you would usher someone out of the entire store. And so the the part that really kind of haunts my wife and I forever, and they're still my competitor today, by the way, is that they put their hand on both of our backs and pushed us out. They were ready to close. And the thing was, this was a Saturday, right? So we went to the club. It's a Saturday and I'm just thinking, like, this is the worst business practice I've ever seen. Paying customers, ushering them out of the store. I have my wallet out, right? And you're yeah. like, no, I don't want your money. Go. Yeah. Right. And so that left a lasting impression. So I was like, well, clearly, we will stay open as late as we ever need to to provide for a paying customer, someone with real intent to buy. There are people that will just lollygag around for hours on your dime while you're like trying to go home and have dinner or something. Like That's an entirely different scenario, and we were very clear we were not that. Uh, so that – and then also that same store had like no parking. It was uh, – almost impossible to park. So we would have been there probably 20 minutes earlier if you can find a parking space because it's mm. only street parking and that. And then also that establishment uh, doesn't have a public restroom. And so my wife also needed to use the restroom. And so these shaped some of the things that my store would have. And so when I was looking for a space, uh, the requirements were had to have an accessible public bathroom. And you would think every spot would have that, but it's not always – the layout is correct. It could be like way in the back of the store where you need to be storing stuff, or it could be around the building. Like it needed to be a good public bathroom that was accessible. There needed to be ample parking. I wanted a big parking lot. So that might mean that I had to share with other tenants or something so that you knew when you set from your house, I will be able to find parking. You know, instead, you know, the bigger cities, you kind of know like, well, parking's going to be an issue if we go on a Saturday. Like I wanted the least deterrence possible. And then we would change our hours. So instead of closing at 5 o'clock on a Saturday, we close at, at the when we first opened, we closed at 8 o'clock on a Saturday. So we stayed open later knowing that uh, my, my goal was to not push people out. And if I know people are leaving to go out and do things on a Saturday, let's be open when they come back from that event. You know, whether it's a barbecue, whether it's, you know, the kid's softball game, whatever it was, we don't want to make them race to spend their money or not at all. And so – we found a couple of places and I, you know, I did my own kind of Googling, what should we do? And I found the highest income per household in Washington, which is Edmonds, Washington, where I'm currently at. And there's other bigger cities, but the income wasn't as high. Mm -hmm. And that was just because they also have slums and that type of thing in there. And so uh, I was able to get outside of Seattle and that was mainly where I was looking because inside of Seattle, a thousand square feet was, you know, eight thousand, ten thousand dollars a month, which sure. was quite high, right? You gotta Tons sell a of lot of you gotta sell a lot of Tetras. A lot of fish. <laughs> when you're selling, you know, one or two dollar fish yeah. just to break even, that gets out of control. So we were looking at other spaces and the other spaces I were looking at that it really boiled down to two. 
and there was one that was $800 a month for about 1,000 square feet, and there was one that was uh, four to $500 for 1,000 square feet. And the difference was one of the spaces had gone through like a bankruptcy and someone had bought the property, and we would have been the first tenants in this complex. And so there is no anchor. There's no reason for anyone to go there because there is not a single business, and they were willing to give a very steep discount, and they would have given us basically $400 rent for five years, which is like, wow, that seems like free in business. But at the same time, there's no reason to be there. Like if I don't really excel at marketing, I'm just going to go out of business anyway. Then this other place that we found uh, seemed kind of too good to be true. So it's you know 800 bucks for a thousand dollars. But the crazy part of it was there was seven pet businesses in the complex already. Between dog groomers, there's the cat uh, or C- city kitty, which is a cat grooming place. There was the doggy diner. There was another groomer, and so there's all these places, and I would be the eighth. And so it kind of made me a full-line pet store, all I had to do was fish. But if you pulled into that parking lot, you could, you know, we also had a, a dog therapy, so swim dog therapy. There was all these people coming to this that already owned pets, and all I had to do was facilitate the fish. And so we thought that was a good idea. And so then I had to sit in the parking lot for about a week and just count traffic because mm-hmm. – it might be the greatest spot you've ever thought, but does anyone actually go there? And I know from doing research, you want to find spots where people are not in a routine. So if you have your anchor store, let's say you're going to put a store in and the big anchor is a grocery store. Well, the same people shop at that grocery store every single week. Every Tuesday I go and buy my milk. And so if you don't get them in the first two Tuesdays, you're probably never going to get them. And so I wanted to find something that was more variable. And so in this complex, we had all these pet owners, but they probably were pet owners that were going to come in, get what they needed, and leave. They're kind of just a specialized grocery store. What we did have, we had a restaurant, which was helpful, and we'll talk about that. And then upstairs, we had a play theater. And that was, I thought, would be very good if I could count the traffic uh, on a weekend and see is it different people because I think when the Nutcracker comes to town, different families and that kind of stuff come. It's not like, oh, we come every Saturday or anything. We could pull from a, a wider range. And so I sat there and I counted traffic for many, many hours every day because I figured this if I'm this serious, this is the do or die time. If I make a wrong guess, I'm locking into a lease and there's no getting out of this. And so we counted traffic every day to sit there and eat lunch. And I would talk to anyone that would come up to me, you know, any other tenants I'd ask. And, you know, I actually started to see there was uh, parking problems. That was the one thing I learned is there was a lot of traffic. But parking problems, when that theater was in, there was nowhere to park. And it's because everyone would jam it up. So it brought a lot of people, but also your normal customers wouldn't be able to shop. But it turned out there was quite a bit of traffic, whereas the other one, you could go sit there and you'd be like, not a single car pulled in in five hours. So... Uh, we ended up signing there, and it has worked out to be uh, fairly well for us. And the, the the last kind of piece of that puzzle was we're five minutes from the freeway, and I believe that if you make a great business, people will drive to it. And it doesn't matter if you're a, a Cabela's or you know a pet store or a grocery store or a restaurant. If you truly stand out and there's not someone who does it better, closer, they will drive to you within reason. If you know you're just way out in the sticks or way out in a warehouse district and it might be a little, you know, scary to get out of the car, like that's not going to happen. You have to give them the chance of like, no, I would drive. It's right off the freeway. And uh, so we do get a lot of freeway traffic, which is very helpful for us. 
Awesome, man. A couple of things I pick up on there. I, this is making yeah. me thinking of the video that you did you know, about this very thing, if you wanted to set up a shop. One, you mentioned a restaurant. The fish store that I go to the most near me is not really close to me. It, there's closer places. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's sitting right next to it is a place called Tommy's Hamburgers. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, fantastic. But they're not, like, cheap burgers. This is like you're going to go in and spend 10 bucks on a burger. But they're fantastic, <laughs> right? So that's an excuse. I get to have a burger yes. when I go to the fish store. So I'm going to go to that store as much because I want to go to that store because there's a burger there. Then the other thing is you, you talked about looking at the income of people in the neighborhoods and all. Mm -hmm. People that buy $10 hamburgers have disposable income. Yes. And when you're selling something like fish or many different things people could be into – You, you know, unless you're selling groceries, everybody goes to the grocery store, mm -hmm. you want people with disposable income because they're buying a want versus a need. So mm -hmm. that was really cool way that you examine that. Now, you've built up this, this brick-and-mortar store. The other thing you've done is built up a huge online following. Mm -hmm. And I, I follow you on Facebook. You're, I know you're on Instagram, and I know you're on YouTube. But YouTube is like, that's your home run with social media. What, For sure, yeah. What made you decide, like, you have, like, a quarter million or something like that followers? It's mm -hmm. crazy. Like, what made you decide, I'm going to start doing this? Because as someone that produces a lot of content, um, mm -hmm. five podcasts a week and, you know, multiple YouTube videos probably every other week, I know it's a lot of extra work. So what made you, like, I'm going to go do build this fish channel? Yeah, so this would have been about year three in my business or right at the end of year two. And basically, I'd watched the growth of the retail store stagnate a little bit. And what I mean by that is it was only growing by about 5% to 10%. Now, if you're a big business and you've been established for a long time, that'd be great growth. But in a newer business, once you start to stagnate, you kind of know this is where it's going to land unless I do something that's rad radically going to shift this. And so I was thinking, how do I get more people to my store? Because it wasn't like I couldn't ring people up fast or anything like that. There were just slow periods in the day of like, oh, man, we just don't have enough people. And so I was certain that I needed to get more online. Like I had to get in front of more people. And if I'm stuck at a store all day long because I work there, obviously I can't. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. We did try leaving door hangers and doing all these things and running Valpac coupons and all the local like flyers and all that. And the return on investment was just terrible. And, and we also were doing Google AdWords at that point, And it was working, but – Um, it was very expensive, and so I figured I need to find a way to leverage Facebook is originally where I was like, okay, I need to leverage Facebook in a newsletter more. And I was at that time I was following a couple of people on YouTube um, about fish, but I was super-duper casual, so much so I didn't have an account or anything like that. Like I would just type in like, oh, what's this person doing, you know, and – There were two people. One was basically a, a DIY type of guy that was doing pretty well, uh, where he would show you how to build your own filter or something like that. And there was another gentleman who actually lived in the UK who worked at a store and would just showcase what was in his fish store where he worked. And a lot of people were really liking that. And I was like, well, I could do that. I mean, I own a fish store. I could do that every day if I wanted to. And so I decided that I was going to give YouTube a try And so we made a few videos, and it was going okay. And I think at that point I was up to, you know, a thousand subscribers or something like that. And it 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 didn't really. People that walked in my store still had no idea who I was. You know, they just they were just like, oh, it's the fish store. So it wasn't bringing new people in or anything like that. But it was getting very good interaction with other people around the world and the country. And so I was like, well, there's something here. But you know, it's like 
I'm, I'm growing, but it doesn't make me any more money. That sucks. And so, you know, I kind of thought about it for a while and I had a, you know, a, a conversation with my wife and I think I was like, well, the store is going to do what it's going to do. And I do have a little bit of extra time. At that time, I thought I was working a lot, but I was only working about 10 hours a day. And I was like, there is some extra time and I can at least, the goal was to make informational videos about the products we sell. Like, here's this filter, here's this fish and all that. And I was like, there's no way in which it'll hurt the business. Um, but I decided to use up all of my free time and go after that with the consent of my wife because she already knew I was working a lot and that was just going to be even more. And we did that for about six or eight months. And then we had to move. We, we finally were like, okay, we're going to buy a house. And we shut the channel down for probably six or eight months. And during that time, the views kept coming in. So even though I was producing no content, the videos that we had made were still getting viewed. And when I came back, now we were at like three or 4,000 subscribers. And when I would produce something, it would get a lot more views. And so that was the, the sign that I needed to keep going was, wow, this is like a passive income or a passive level of advertising. When I make a video about this fish, two years later, people are still watching that video about that fish. And that seemed very powerful because in Facebook for me, when I would post, you know, you make a post or you post a picture or something like that, it's great for two or three days, but then it's pretty much gone forever in the world of Facebook. And I thought there was something to that. And it seemed like there was much less competition because Facebook, I was competing with everyone because every day, even today, you still feel like you have to be advertising on Facebook. Facebook is where it's at. And I believe that rhetoric to be because that's where it's easiest to advertise currently, not because it's the best place. Absolutely, man. So what kind of like impact has this really had on the store now? Because I get that it wasn't maybe that big of an impact initially, but I got to believe at this point it is driving traffic to your brick and mortar store. Yes, at this point it is, you know, it is a force to be reckoned with so much so that I really can't go into my own store because a line forms for autographs and, and selfies and that kind of stuff. And when you have four employees standing there and they're all trying to help people and everyone defaults to, oh, I just want to ask Corey or I just want to talk to Jack because he's the guy I've been interacting with for years now. Yeah. And we have people flying in from around the world to see our mascot and feed and just like get to buy some of the merch and, and do all that. So it's it's gone, you know totally to the other side of it. it's kind of depressing actually i can't go into my own store while it's open because it ruins it and i actually long for the interaction with a customer who doesn't know who i am like just a genuine connection of like you have a sick fish let me help you instead of like oh i better use this time to get everything i you know i want because i've been trying to meet you for so long and it's it's done really well and that experience i knew it was doing well when I went to my first convention at about 28,000 subscribers. And so that had happened like within that year after the 4,000. So about a year later, I go to convention and I went purely as a hobbyist, you know, so I wasn't there to present or anything. And I just went there and I was getting recognized left and right. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, this is way bigger than I had ever thought, you know, because I was just going there to, I wanted to see like, oh, could I meet some vendors? Could I buy some stuff for the store? And you got this dose of like being a little bit of a celebrity. And from there, I kind of developed a strategy that, in my opinion, a online uh, e-commerce store that has an active YouTube channel can make about a dollar per subscriber per month. And from that, it took me about three months to ramp up. 
But since then, we've never missed that mark. So it, you know, now we're over three hundred thousand, and we do definitely more than three hundred thousand dollars of online revenue. And it's my logic in my brain was if I'm providing a value to someone, and there I've got three hundred thousand subscribers. If I can just get a dollar out of each one of those, even just in a year, that's a lot of money. And then I was like, well, what if I can get it out of them once a month? If I provide them twenty videos a month, and they got to give me a dollar. All I'm having to do is convince them to spend $12 with me and buy a product they probably already need once a year to make that happen. And so it's been very lucrative to find out that, yeah, if you supply people with information and you give them a decent product at a decent price, they'll spend money with you. And it's kind of that classic like, well, duh, except no business is really doing that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I think that's why there's such a it's, – it's, it's actually easy – in some ways and hard in others to, to, to kind of build what you've built. Um, it's easy because nobody does it. Like everybody knows you mm -hmm. should do it, but you know, as a guy that, you know, again, I get up every day and produce a show. Mm -hmm. It's hard, but yet once you get into a rhythm, it's like anything else. You get good at it. You're consistent with it. And when people know that you're really trying to help them, then every person that's going to buy anything has a choice to who they buy it from. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just have a choice. I can buy it from, Corey, or I can buy oh, a lot of stuff you sell, I can buy on Amazon. Yep. Well, I'm going to buy it from you because the reason I know I need an intake, intake sponge on my over-the-back filter is because you mm -hmm. talked about it and showed me how to do it, how to rip my filter apart and make it actually worth a damn as opposed to the way that they come in a box. So mm -hmm. why would I then go, and I, we're going to get into your products in a second specifically, sure. but even if it was the same product, why the hell would I go buy it from some nameless person When somebody who, you know, when his new videos come out, I'm not going to say I watch every single one of your videos, but when I see a topic that I find interesting, I'm like, I got to make time to watch Corey. Mm -hmm. Well, like, so you're giving me something. You're giving me all this information and education and, and some entertainment for free. Why wouldn't I spend the money I have to spend with, or I'm choosing to spend with you? It just makes perfect sense. But like you said, no one does it. Because I, mm -hmm. see, I came to where I am. I was the, I was a marketing consultant. I had, big companies all over the all over the country, you know, 15 years ago, and you would tell them everything to do. They'd pay you lots of money. You'd go and roll out a whole marketing program for them. These are the things we can do, but we need some of your people to do it. You can't be us. Like, we can't be fake you. And, mm -hmm. they, and they'd spend tons of money, and then they would never execute. Right. And, and I get to the point where I'm like, well, I'm going to go do this for myself because mm -hmm. it makes you miserable when you're trying to help people that are paying you for your help but won't actually use it. And it is kind of amazing to me. And so I think when a person like yourself goes out there, you put out this genuine content, you interact with your audience, you answer, like you actually answer comments, especially in a live stream mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So people are like, well, this is just some guy throwing some crap out there. You know, whether it's good or not, doesn't matter. This is a guy that actually gives a damn about me. So mm -hmm. that makes it easy. And I, I know a lot of people want to meet you. Like I had this lady slated for a little later in the interview, but I went to Aquashella recently and I – did the VIP thing, so I got in the night and set up and came by mm -hmm. and said hello and all. But, I mean, folks listening out there, like, if you think this guy's talking crap when he's, like, people lining up, I watched you stand for two days at that show, and I didn't mm -hmm. see a single moment when there wasn't at least, you know, two or three people waiting to talk to you, and at times it was a line, you know, around the corner or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I got to give you props, because you stood there for freaking two days, actually two and a half days, And you made sure every single person that wanted to talk to you got to talk to you. And, you know, I used to do a lot of the traveling like that and speak at expos and stuff myself. 
And I, 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 you are the only person I know other than myself that I've ever seen at one of those things stand there from open to close and mm -hmm. do that. And I think that, like, okay, so I went and I saw you do that, but it, it did not surprise me because of your persona online. I expected that from you, even though I don't expect it from anybody else. And I think right. that is what drives business for you. Well, I think that's... That's what keeps the customers coming back to me. And <clears throat> what I see is there was 150 vendors there. I was the only one that did that. And I think every one of the 7,000 people that attended, they also saw that. They also saw everyone kind of sitting back in the booth eating some pizza like, oh, did you have a question? Did I need to sell you something? Instead of making it the priority of let me interact with you guys and – You know, it's just a different relationship. I feel like it's my chance to meet as many people and reassure them that I am who I am online and that I am a genuine person. And what always humbles me is when I learn that someone drove 16 hours just to get there, you know, like that. So they can get four minutes with me. They drove 16 hours and they brought their wife and they brought their kids and they're doing all this stuff. Or, oh, it's spring break right now. We decided to make the whole break come in to see you for five minutes and watch your talk tomorrow and that kind of stuff. And I just feel that most big businesses have lost what that actually means. You know, like it's happening to all these businesses. Like people spend lots of money, they'll dedicate lots of time, but they're not being genuine and thankful for that. And I am always afraid that I will lose that. And so, It's part of my business that I have to be in the trenches, I call. I have to go meet these people. So it reminds me that they're not just, you know, transaction number 10,000 on the week. It's, you know, oh, yeah, it's Bob. I remember. Yeah, you had that problem. How's that going? And I think it, it just even if I've met someone for the first time at that convention, they, they're, they get caught up by all the other people going, no, it's Corey. Don't you know him? Don't you? He's going to take time. Like, he's been here for days. Haven't you seen that? And... I just don't understand when all these companies have uh, their sales reps, like you're literally being paid to do what I'm doing yeah. and not a single other one of them are doing. And I'm like, well, what are you guys paying for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it amazed me. Some of the people that I wanted to talk to, like there were some guys that were pretty cool actually about like really good product knowledge and telling you what's going on. The guys in the current booth, they were pretty cool with their new tanks mm -hmm. and all. But there were people yep. that was almost like, you know, why are you here? Well, why are you here? You know, like, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, it, 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 it was kind of astounding, but it's not, again, because I've been in convention world my whole life. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you what, though, Aquashello was unbelievable. I know you, you, you stood there anchored all day, but if you had gone out about two o'clock in the afternoon and looked at the line, yep, that was insane. I'm hoping they figure out a bigger venue or something that they're going to do Dallas again. Because I've been working with them closely to remedy those kind of situations and, It, it, that convention, just in a little snapshot, was no one expected it to do that well. No one had ever done a convention in Texas related to fish. Yeah. And it blew everyone's expectations way out of the water. And so it's like, yep, we will be fixing that for sure. The previous show, they had lost money. And so you don't want to like, oh, let's no. just go twice as big and lose twice as much money this yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, that could have been at like the – The, uh, the convention center or something easily mm -hmm. up north of Dallas. Uh, but, yeah, I was, it kind of blew me away. And what, what also blew me away was, you know, yeah, there's 6.2 million people live in this Metroplex, so you would expect it to do well. But they mm -hmm. did not promote it heavily. Like, you guys on YouTube were 90% mm -hmm. of their promotion. Honestly, the way I found out about it, there's a little magazine that the fish store down at my place gives out for free. Mm -hmm. And it was in events. It was like a little classified ad. And I'm like, it's going to be in Dallas. And so I looked it up online. I'm like, 
holy crap, this is going to be huge. If they had actually heavily marketed that thing, I think they could have doubled their attendance if they could have handled it. And so yes. this is another question I had slated later, but this industry is massive. Like my industry of preparedness and all is a fairly large industry, but it is mm -hmm. nothing compared to the pet industry or even you know taking a piece off and saying freshwater fish and planted tanks. Mm -hmm. What do you think makes this industry as massive as it is? Why are so many people attracted to the concept of aquariums and fish and plants? Well, it's I think it's a bit of that chicken and the egg thing, and I think about this a lot. It's one of the few hobbies that tr transcends the entire world. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're into football, well, football is two different things depending on where you are in the world, right? Like it's either American football or it's soccer, as we would call. There's so many hobbies that are that way or that just don't exist outside. It's one of the few that is around the entire world. There's other cultures way more into it than we are. And then I think why it's kind of popular in America right now, and I think this changes every generation, is because this is one of the few hobbies that transcends the whole family. So dad can be interested in it. Daughter can be interested in it. The wife can be interested in it. Like everyone feels like they can be a part of going to the pet store and having an aquarium and whether or not you're actually taking care of it, you know that you own an aquarium and it's something that you repeat all the time. Um, whereas when a family comes together and they buy a dog, right? That's like a two week thing. Like, let's go look at some puppies. Let's find the right one. Now we have a dog. And then generally you'll have one person that kind of lets that dog out, takes it for a walk and feeds it. You know, maybe a couple of people do that, but then that whole event in the life is kind of done and you just have this dog for 12 years. But Fish keeping is different in the fact that so you go and you search for that fish and you bring it home and then you do it again next weekend and you do it again next weekend. That's why it is so important that the store is close to a good place to eat because it becomes a date night thing. And whether it's a date with your son or daughter or your girlfriend or your wife, it doesn't matter. It becomes let's go shop for fish, let's eat here, then let's come back, we'll settle down, we'll acclimate the fish, we'll watch some TV, and that in itself, that experience of those three or four hours is something that most people like to repeat every week because it's fun. You got to eat, you got to relax, and you got to shop. Those are like the things we like to do as humans, and that hobby facilitates it, and you can bring that hobby with you through your entire life. If you're five years old, you can have that experience. If you're in college, you can still have a 10-gallon aquarium and have that experience. If you're 70, you can still have that experience. You don't have to go, well, I'm too old to play baseball now, so now I can't do it. Or, oh, I used to play tennis when I was younger. It literally can be everyone is involved. And I think that's what keeps it so strong is that you're not limited really by income. You're not limited by mobility. You're not limited by location in the world. Everyone can come together and enjoy this common thing. It's kind of like food. Everyone eats. Everyone has an opinion on food. And fish While not every single person owns a fish, there are, it's one in ten households worldwide own an aquarium. And so you start looking oh, at your wow. block and you go, wow, there's probably two or three people on this block that own an aquarium just like me. I've never met them, but they're probably here. Yeah, because it's blown me away. I never really – you know, I liked it. It's my thing. I enjoy it. And, but then you go to like a fish store, like you said, that runs out of inventory – And mm -hmm. you were there a couple days earlier. Let's say you had to stop by for some reason or you just wanted to. And, like, they're out of fish. You're like, how many freaking people do this, you know? And you mm -hmm. realize it is massive. I'll tell you one of the things I think it is, too, especially when you move into either saltwater reef or, like you and I, I know you're big into plants, planted mm -hmm. freshwater. 
and I did a little video on this uh, a few months ago, kind of inspired by you and some other folks. And this is all like after a year of doing planted tanks, because I've done tanks my whole life. I've just got into planted tanks the last couple of years. These mm -hmm. are things I wish people told me. And one of the things I said in that video is that what you realize as you start doing this, you're creating a world, right? You're creating mm -hmm. this microcosm world, and that's a very powerful thing. And you have control over that. And it, you know, then it becomes like this living ecosystem that's sitting in your office or your living room. I'm sitting here while we're talking. I'm watching marble angelfish and pineapple swords and red tail sharks float around through, you know, this ecosystem I created for them. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's fascinating. And I think you can end up losing yourself. Like, I know you, you've talked about this. You end up sitting in front of a fish tank. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to check out the tank. Like 35 mm -hmm. minutes goes by, and you're looking at this one area. Of like a 75-gallon tank. You haven't even looked at the rest of it because mm -hmm. of the interactions going on. I think that's just universally appealing. Well, I think I think as humans, we naturally want to get lost. And most people just do it when, you know, like uh, Ferris Bueller's day, day Off comes up on TV and you're like, oh, man, it's Saturday. And I didn't really – oh, I just watched two hours of that movie. I've seen it <laughs> 7,000 times. But we could also lose ourselves in that aquarium and see something that maybe we haven't seen before, and it is relaxing. It's It, it mimics a TV in that respect, but it also teaches us. So through aquariums, you know, and this is back before I opened my store, but learning how to do planted aquariums and learning so much about plants, all of a sudden I was consulting on aquaponic farms and other tilapia mm -hmm. farms and stuff they wanted to do because that knowledge is transferable. and. I'm the world's best person at killing plants outside of water, but I know quite a bit about them just because I know how much I know in water. And so I am a better, you know, gardener for it. Not that I enjoy it like I do inside, but, you know, I do learn all these skills. And this is coming from a guy that I think I got a D in biology through middle school. Like I absolutely hated it. I hated it, hated it, hated it. And now you, you don't, you don't. You don't have to pay me. I'll pay you to learn more about biology and plants and fish and just I go down this rabbit hole and it's so enjoyable. And I think that's, you know, that's a special thing when you can actually enjoy something. I think so many times in this world right now, we think we enjoy something. We buy that latest iPhone and then, you know, within a week we're going, you know, it's great, but why did they change this? You know, there's so much where we have such high expectations that a world unknown is a different thing. So a lot of people get in a fish, they have no idea what they're doing, and they end up having so much more fun because they don't know the outcome yet. You know, mm -hmm. when you buy the latest gadget, you know, this thing's 4% better than last year's, you know, but when you buy an aquarium, you have no idea. You have zero idea what's going to happen. You get a new fish. Even if you've been doing it for 50 years, you're buying a new fish you've never seen in a store before, and so now you're going to be like, wow, look at that, it's doing a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you get into breeding and stuff like that. I'm big into breeding mm -hmm. uh, neocardania shrimp, uh, and, and you know, you're, 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 now you're propagating. You're ending up, you know, selling some of your surplus mm -hmm. to pay for your hobby, and it, so it offers a lot of opportunities like that. Um, you, as you've built out your store, both on and offline, you've actually developed some products. Mm -hmm. um, your Easy Green and Easy Carbon, I use both of those. Um, All my OTB, uh, I should say it because I don't have a fish audience here. All of my filters have an intake sponge that are your intake sponges, and mm -hmm. I love your products. What made you decide, though, to go into, I'm going to build and make my own products? Because that's totally different than saying, you know, I stock Fluval lights or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of my things, once I realized I could make money, right? So once I was like, great, we're making pretty good money here. This is great. So you, I, I think you go into two paths, right? You're either A, 
let's ride this cash cow, and what am I going to do with my life? Or you go, what else can I do in this business? And that's the crossroads I came to. And I was like, well, we make enough money that, you know, let's say you bring home, you know, between my wife and I, $70,000 a year. Like, great, we could we could retire off this technically. Like, we buy our house, that's a life. So we can either, A, try to maximize more profit there, and then, like, what do I do with all my free time? Or I can work on this hobby, which is fish. I do still love fish. And so I decided I wanted to work on the hobby, and at that point it was, well, why not start trying to make the products I like? Or when I buy that iPhone, then I'm like, hey, I don't like this part of it. Why not make my own iPhone that fixes that part. doesn't mean that everyone likes that, but it means I'll like it. And so that's kind of how the fertilizer came up is I knew instead of having to put five different chemicals into my water every, every uh, week, I could just put one. And I knew that because I'm a master aquatic horticulturist and I've been keeping plants for a very long time and I was already mixing my own, mm. but I wasn't confident in, well, what does it take to launch that product? Like, can you just mix it up and sell it? Like, do you have to have an MSDS made? Do you have to have child safety warnings? And so I partnered with a with a uh, chemical manufacturer and they first they said, you can't mix those chemicals together. It won't work the way you want it to. And we make fertilizers and that's not how it works. And so we had to have this like debate on, I'm already doing it. I've been doing it for many years. Here's so. my tank. Here's the plants. Yeah. They're growing. I put this stuff it, in there. They grow more. Stop yeah. telling me you know, that, that I'm wrong because the plants say that I'm correct. So it came down to I'm just going to have to pay you to mix these chemicals, and I fully realize you say it won't work. Like I get that, right? Like So as long as it's safe for the public – and, you know, I won't come back and claim that it doesn't work. Like, you just make the chemicals. And from there, it's been very good to us. Like, it's our number one selling product and stuff like that. And now, we I basically just reinvest everything we make back into how can I make the products I already like to use better? How can I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm good enough to invent new products yet because it's really hard to figure out what demand is and do people actually need a thing. And But it is easy to take something and go, you know, this pizza tastes a little bit better if you put ranch on it. You know, like you can add that add-on of like this thing works better if I use it this way or I'm constantly cutting this thing off every time I ever use this. What if we just made it where you didn't have to cut that off? And so we're slowly fixing all of the products in the hobby that I believe could use a little bit of tweaking. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone thinks it needs a bunch of tweaking. Like not everyone wants ranch on their pizza, but the people that do might start buying ranch pizza instead of the normal pizza and we're just you know targeting that demographic and because i've built this like honest platform and my products work that we put our name on it inherently the minute it comes out has a seal of approval that it's worked before like i keep using apple because apple is one of the companies that love them or hate them They've built a diehard fan base, and you pretty much know that you're going to pay a lot of money for an Apple product, but by the time it's hit a user's hands, it's pretty darn polished. And so that's the same thing we've kind of done. It's like by the time we're handing you an aquarium co-op product, it's gone through so much testing, and we believe in it so much that it would be really hard for you not to love it if you previously love our other aquarium co-op products. And you know, it's led me down a path of visiting China and manufacturers and learning uh, cargo container shipments and all this stuff. And I I love business, so I find it very fascinating. And that's kind of become its own hobby of like, ooh, let's just make things. <laughs> Absolutely. And you say you did, you're not really an inventor, but I mean. The Easy Green product, to me, you did invent that. Because I guess, yeah, fertilizers existed, 
But no one ever did that. No one, I mean, maybe hobbyists did like you were doing, but nobody ever put out before you did a product that was, here's a broad-spectrum fertilizer for aquatic plants. And it kind of dumbfounds me that the company you were working with was arguing with you that it wouldn't work because I am the green thumb guy and you know above water plants. And mm-hmm. we've been doing that forever, mm-hmm. right? We've been doing that forever. I guess there is some concern with, you know, If you overdo certain things, you can kill your fish and all. But if I can put in these seven things, mm-hmm. why can't you put those seven things together? And the answer was you could, and I guess just nobody else is willing to do it. So to me, you did invent that, and now there's a lot of products like that. Like There are, yes. You have like the Easy Carbon product, and there's a lot of products like that. You came out mm-hmm. with your own version of it. Yep. But So you didn't create a thing there mm-hmm. that became an industry standard. To me, with the, with the fertilizer product, you did do that. You created this... You know, this new thing, this new entire market niche. So, to me, you did invent that. Yeah, it's it's hard for me. I try to not make those claims only because, like, after the fact, you learn about a competitor's product in a different market, like in Europe. And you're like, oh, was that, technically, was that yeah. actually out first? I'd never heard of that, but yeah. kudos. Like, that would have been awesome had I known because I just would have copied that product. <laughs> you know, like, it would have yeah. been actually a lot easier to know that exists because then I can go, they're doing it. Just do what they do. Um But yeah, it it has been, you know, I would say it's a lucky ride, but at the same time there are there are amounts of luck involved, but I typically move very slow. So it's like, oh, that fertilizer I'd been using for eight years before we ever thought about making it. Most people think of an idea and they're like, six months later it's on the market, then they see what went wrong. Like I already knew the whole problem I had was after about five weeks, a lot of uh, water mold would grow in these two liter bottles I was making. And so I knew that a manufacturer would know how to prevent the mold. That was the only missing ingredient for me is how do I keep this from molding? Hmm. And, uh, you know, but their, their whole shtick was, well, if you put all these elements together, they're going to bind together and they're not going to be usable by the plants. And I'm like, yeah, but we're all dumping all these bottles into our aquarium the same day anyway, even though every manufacturer <laughs> recommends do it on a different day. Yeah. We're all doing it and we're all getting the good results. So, yeah. And I find a lot of times in at least our hobby and a lot of other things, people will fight you to the death about something. Like it's not as good to do it this way. And you're literally talking about a 1% difference. You're like, so if I do it where it's 50% easier to complete this task – And I get 1% less return, but you're willing to do 50% more work to get 1% more? Like, that's a horrible trade. We should never be making that trade in our lives. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So, um, hold on just a second, Corey. What? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have my phone. Okay. <laughs> All right. One edit there. All right. So, um, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that you do have this huge following, and It's clearly because you're so passionate about not just the industry, but actually educating people and helping people. What what makes you feel that way? What makes you so dedicated to what you do? Well, I, I partially, and this is always, when you talk like this, you're always opening yourself up for fire from other people. But I feel like there's not enough people teaching. And so it's one of those things that if I want to see the hobby go in a direction or I want to be a part of a solution, you have to lead by example. And if... If there was 10 more aquarium co-ops all producing the content we need to see and the educational videos and all that, I could actually back off on what I'm doing and kind of do some other things. Like maybe it's more product development or maybe something else. But continually, day after day after day after day, people remind me, like, I'm so glad I found aquarium co-op because I couldn't find the answers. And part of this problem is right now in information age, 
not all information sources are the same. The Internet is so polluted with forums and Reddit and people's websites that if you're truly new to anything, you know, if I'm new to becoming uh, a survivalist and I just randomly type in, like, how to prep, there's going to be 10 different ways and 10 different ideologies that people adhere to, and how could I know which one was going to fit for me? And when there is someone that can kind of, like, come to the forefront and go, Look, yes, there's a billion different crazy ways to do this thing, right? But here's the main four ways that most groups of people adhere to. You should probably choose one of those. And then when you do, I'm really good at at number one. But two, three, four, and five, you should actually follow these other people because they specialize in that. And that's what I find that it does not exist in our industry is I will send someone to my competitor just as much as I'll send them to my own website if it's truly going to serve them better. Hmm. And too many people in this industry were like, oh, you can never mention a competitor. You can never mention products you don't sell. And I do it all the time. And I think that's what keeps me honest is like he literally told me not to spend money on his website. He told me to go buy this. He told me to go do this. So that way when I do come full circle, you know, and let's say you were you were group A there and you're really good at group A and they tried group C. And you know what? That's not the way I want to prep. When they come back around and they're going, okay, well, these are the four main types all right, I'm going to try number one because he led me down this path of all these other ones, and he seems most honest. And it, you know, you're not going to pick up everything. And uh, there's a lot of businesses I fight with about this. They're like you have to control the market. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just have to control 10% <laughs> of this giant market, and I will make more than enough money and influence than I will ever need. You don't need that whole pie. Just always make sure you're getting your section, you're serving it the best, and you want your 10% of that pie to never be burnt, never be undercooked, be the same every time. You know, and I just I have different ideologies than other people in business, but I'm also I'm only 36 at this point, and I'm much newer to the business game. And a lot of my competitors are like, I'm in year six of my business; they're in year 46. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just a different way. There's a big disadvantage for people that you're competing with, though, and that is this is kind of a, a, a rule of business that new companies will always use the most you know the most current technology the most current mm-hmm. information etc and older businesses won't because mm-hmm. well we've always done it this way so they right. they tend not now some companies do a pretty good job of bringing in new blood and innovation and all but a lot of companies man once they're 15 20 years old you know why, why would we be on Instagram i don't know dummy because you sell fish and there's millions of people on Instagram that like fish like mm-hmm. you know like it'd be, it's, it, you can imagine somebody in let's say you know 1910 going well what do we need a phone for Right. Well, because people might want to call you and buy stuff. Oh, they can write us a letter if they, because that's how, you know, commerce used to be. You got a catalog and you wrote a letter and then they wrote you a letter back and then you ordered stuff. Like, so I'm sure there were businesses back when phones came out that were like, yeah, we don't need one of those. And On the biz? Oh, good. No, it's just, you know, that that's just how businesses are slow to do that. One of my things, though, and I think that part of what motivates you to make a lot of content is the same thing does me. The, well, but everybody knows crowd. Like, mm-hmm. you can't do this. No, you can't breed these two fish in the same tank. Or you can't breed shrimp and guppies in the same tank. And in my mm-hmm. industry, it's other things. But I've seen you talk about, like, okay, well, here they are. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that, and the Reddit, the forums and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think it has anything to do with fish. I think it's everything that people like has mm-hmm. this segment that says, this is the way that it is. And everybody knows that. And generally, mm-hmm. I find when someone has the need to say everybody knows something, it's probably at least not 100% true. There's probably something else there to learn. I mean, I remember listening to you one time, and you were talking about how hard it is to even just 
just have a conversation online now. Like you said something about mm -hmm. you had a goldfish breed or something, and, and yep. like you didn't plan on it. Just there is a baby goldfish. You're like you went on this mm -hmm. thing on Facebook and said, "Look, I made a goldfish," and they were like, "You said the goldfish police like came mm -hmm. after you, like mm -hmm. and, and probably being talking down to you." Some of them having no idea who you are or what your mm -hmm. experience is, and I just think that that happens to if that happens to you, you don't care. You know what mm -hmm. you know. If that happens to me in my world, I don't care. Like when you build a podcast that you know that supports your entire lifestyle, you can tell me about podcasting. Mm -hmm. But the person that's new and trying to get information, they get crushed by this. They mm -hmm. have no idea. And then when they meet somebody like you through the virtual world that explains everything and what, like even what it is, yes, this doesn't work. You shouldn't do this. But not just everybody knows that. Here's why. Mm -hmm. And oh, you can do this, but here's what you're going to have to do to make it work. That's the differentiator, I think, of the content you put out. Well, I think I, I try to speak to everyone. So instead of just telling everyone this is how you do something, I try to go, well, there's going to be a lot of different skill levels I talk about. And one of the problems with the Internet is anonymity. So when <laughs> I like to bring it, I like to use a lot of analogies for people because – We all get very passionate about what our hobbies are, but if you can take it out of something that, that we all know about but aren't passionate about, it's like, well, of course, every baker is going to have the best cookie recipe, right? And they're all going to say, no, 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 this is the way you bake cookies. Like, everyone loves my cookies, right? And the same thing about all of our hobbies. This is the way you cultivate this plant. This is the way you do this. And so what I try to – I what I'm really trying to do is invoke thought of, like, can we imagine a moment where – Someone down the street makes the best cookie that won the county fair, and then the person over on this street won it last year, and can we both agree that they're pretty dang good cookies? <laughs> yes. Okay, so there's not one best method. Now let's imagine, could we imagine that this 12-year-old uh, boy who just went through home ec and now has a passion for baking cookies might invent the next best type of cookie? I think that is a plausible scenario. Are they making the best cookie today? Maybe not, but we need to keep an open mind. And I think that goes to every hobby of, yes, is it, you can, you can make claims, like for instance, it's going to be a little controversial that everyone should always wear a seatbelt always. And statistics are, yes, probably it's saving a ton of lives, but there are instances in certain crashes, in certain cars, in certain, you know, is someone pregnant? Are they not? Are they certain body type? Are they not? You can actually do some damage. But overall, you might say, like, well, it's saving 80% of lives or 90%, whatever the statistic is that I have no idea. But there's always going to be the except for this. And on the Internet, we are of an age where – We have no extra time, and we just want to get our comment out there, and we're doing it from our phone, so we don't want to elaborate. You know, it takes a long time to write it, and we're not we're not elaborating to go, yes, 96% of the time, that is the answer, but 4% is this, and because that 4% is in the minority, and it's going to take you 12 minutes to explain, no one's ever explaining the minority, and so now we have a society that's only going based on on statistics and most like users and unfortunately when you start talking to millions of people which luckily enough i'm able to do now four percent still a lot of people when you're talking about millions <laughs> absolutely and i mean i think the whole kind of like this this uh tribe like online tribalism where everybody that doesn't do it the way everybody knows is stupid 
It's in everything. I had a girl on uh, a few years ago. She's actually on quite a bit now with me. She's a thru-hiker. She hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Rim Trail, etc., all the mm -hmm. way through. And she said when she first started trying to learn about, you know, she had this dream. I want to hike the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine. So I need stuff. So she goes into forums mm -hmm. to find the stuff that she needs. And she, she said on the first interview I had her on, she's like, so you go and you ask about a water filter and, and you know, you get this, you're a moron if you don't have filter X. Like, mm -hmm. wait a minute. Well, what about all these other people that are dead? Right? So, like, mm -hmm. that thing and the ability to cut through it and actually explain things I think is huge. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing huge for businesses, though, is knowing what not to do. Like, mm -hmm. we do these things and we don't do these things. Maybe someday we will. But today, mm -hmm. we don't do these things. We're not rushing into this thing. Yes, there's revenue there, but it's probably not the best thing for the business. In your world, mm -hmm. you ship plants. I know I've bought them from you. You ship physical products. I know I've bought them from you. You mm -hmm. don't ship fish. If you want to fish and you want to buy it online, you're like, there's all these other websites. Go buy your fish there. Mm -hmm. What made you, from a business perspective, make that decision? We're not going to do this thing. So I believe every business should specialize in doing something the best. Like you strive to be, we're going to do this thing the best, better than anyone else. And the problem I see is when people get there, then they think they can start being the best of a lot of things. You know, it's kind of like when Michael Jordan was like, you know, I'm going to do baseball for a little bit. He wasn't terrible, but he clearly was not the best at baseball either. And so... You know, I like to use those analogies, and to me, it's like, let's say you've got this pizza restaurant that's the best pizza in the world, and you absolutely love it, and it's perfect every time, and they're like, okay, there's no more, we can't serve any more pizza, we've got just thousands of people every day, but we should open up a burger restaurant, you know, and so now... It seemed like a good idea because, like, oh, we've got great cooks. We've got great chefs. We've got the buying power. We know how to run a business. And it turns out you're just not as passionate and not as good at making a burger. You're not making garbage, but you're not going to be the best. And it's going to take time away from, well, what do you mean the, the, the health code inspector? We've got a problem over how we store our burgers and that kind of stuff. And so now you're not focusing on how do I make the next best pizza? How do I make the next best flavor? And so often people want me to – Uh, steer towards either selling fish online or getting into saltwater fish or doing another niche when it's like, yes, but this niche isn't done. How do I develop another product for what you already love if my attention is actually focused on doing something else? And what I know, I, I think about this and I tell this to, you know, people at my basically my meetings where I have a leadership meeting and I go, the next Corey, the next 30 year old version of me is looking at me right now going, he's doing this, this and this wrong. I'm going to destroy him. And that's what happens is every generation, a new generation comes in and goes, this guy wasn't using Snapchat. This guy wasn't doing this and this and this. Now I am and I'm connecting with a younger, uh, a younger group or whatever it's going to be. And if I take my attention off of what I'm doing, I become complacent and I don't see the people coming up. And so you can learn from the people coming up. And so I try to remain relevant. Now, I'll always, your business will always age out. You know, you're just like, oh, I don't care that much anymore. I've lost my passion. But you can do a lot to limit your product line to what you do really, really well. I think everyone wants to be an Amazon, a Walmart, you know, just like we carry it all and we make money on it all. But the reality is there is a ton of people, you know, and I use this as an example. There's a ton of people that are making millions selling napkins, 
or cleaning porta potties or doing all these tasks. And you would never know they're like, wait, they're multi, 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 multi millionaire. And all they do is a thing like just this one thing. Like, yep, because they do it the best instead of doing five mediocre things. If you're the third best uh, teriyaki place, the fourth best burger place and the second best pizza place, you're not actually making that much money in your town. You'd be much better off being the number one of any one of those. Yeah, where the person goes, oh, you're coming into town. I know you like burgers. We're going to Tommy's. Like, mm-hmm. like, well, we can go, you know, you because you can go to a, like a, a chain place, like a Chili's or something, and you can get a burger yep. there. But you, and you can get a taco there, and, and mm-hmm. neither of them are that great. But yeah. the place that you know, like this is the place I'm going for this thing. It, it is very, very powerful. On that note, like as we're getting ready to wrap up here, man, sure. like. You know, you have the reason I brought you on is your business principles are sound. Fish just happens to be your business. So mm-hmm. if you had somebody that was that next entrepreneur coming up in any industry right now, and they were like, they were they 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 had some product knowledge or some industry knowledge, whatever it was, mm-hmm. they kind of had an idea, and they were they were getting ready to take those steps of building that business. What would be two or three pieces of advice you'd give to anybody, regardless of the business space they were looking to go into? Yeah, so my first one is go manage the business you want to own. Okay. So if you want to own a fish store, go manage one for a few years. If you want to own a pizza restaurant, go manage one because you're just going to get firsthand knowledge of local vendors. You're going to learn that you know maybe the pizza sauce comes in bad once every six months just because wholesalers forget to rotate their stock or something like that. You can just learn these things that will cost the business you're working for massive amounts of money and you learn on their dime and so often there's people that are like well I can't afford to only work at a manager's level salary at this place and my response is always well then you can't afford to open your own store because you're going to work for one tenth of that while you're trying to open your own business like there's no money coming in because you're investing at all if you can't make that happen you'll never make this happen so that's the first thing is like really get insight just because You know, just because, for instance, you are really good at prepping at home doesn't mean you should open up a Cabela's. Like, that's not the same transferable thing. Go run yeah. a Cabela's for five years, and you're like, oh, I could maybe do this now. Uh, the second thing that – and this is this gets me into a lot of trouble, uh, but I believe you should try and open a business without taking on any debt. And so, like, the Aquarium Co-op has been this way forever. We owe for nothing. Everything we owe, own, we own outright, all the stock, all that kind of stuff. And it's people go, well, that's really hard to do. And I go, yes, running a business is very hard to do. You need to find someone that's willing to invest in you. And so like an angel investor or a parent or come into an inheritance or let's say none of those things work out. You start from your garage like I did. Like So before I ever got someone to invest my money into me, at that time I was selling fish on eBay and Aquabid and selling at my local club and I would show up to events like little swap meets and I would sell there. I worked at a store, I was selling there and I was making I was cobbling pieces together of all these different ways to advertise and make little bits amount of money so that when I had the money I could scale them. You know, a lot of times in business you get limited by like, well, I can only buy $1,000 worth. If I could buy $5,000 worth, they're 20% cheaper. But knowing how to unload a 1,000 of them also lets you know, like, when I do have the $5,000, I'll know how to unload the $5,000 of them. So, you know, it's the reason I'm so adamant about that is because we are in a culture right now where most 
I shouldn't say most. A lot of companies are in, let's make it to the next quarter, let's get to the next profit so that we can get someone to buy us out. Like that's the mentality right now of everyone wants to launch a Facebook or a, or you know even just a, a juice company. It doesn't matter what it is. Like we want to launch this, we want to get it popular, and we want to sell it off so that we don't have to prove that our financial strategy actually works. And so if that is what most people are doing, I always tend to do the opposite of like, so you want to do these crazy strategies that can work and pay off billions, or I can go the exact opposite and do this strategy that's going to make us like, oh, it's just a few hundred thousand dollars a year. But, you know, if you're only making $200,000 as your take-home salary every year, like that's still pretty good. You're never going to get the billion-dollar payout, but that strategy was a lot more sound. And I I try to push people that way because I think it's more realistic. Like it's not – it's unlikely you're going to make a revolutionary product. It's unlikely you're going to just have you're going to be better than everyone. And what you're going to do is you're going to invest a lot of money, and then you're just going to find out really quickly where your um, where your weaknesses are that you didn't know you had. And everyone has weaknesses. Like that's just what you don't realize is for everything I am good at, there are things that I found that I am very bad at. And You'd much rather do it on someone else's dime and not be in debt, and it allows you just to be free. Like One of the reasons Aquarium Co-op is so powerful in the industry is if I want to bring a product on and we want to spend $20,000, we can we could literally hand them cash. It's not we need 90 days terms. We, need, we literally are free to do anything. We can also drop a vendor. When someone quality control goes down or they've done something wrong, we can drop them. We don't owe them 90 days worth of payments. Sure. We literally can just cut and run the next day. And because everyone knows in the industry we can do that, we tend not to have to deal with half of this riffraff. We, you know, if, you, if you're sitting out of stock for six months on a product, we just move on. We don't wait to go, well, you know, we really can't get terms with the competing company or anything like that. And I just, there are industries like if you're going to open up a car lot, it would be near impossible to have enough cars on the lot and not borrow money. But there are so many industries that you can start up a local store of something, some kind of hobby, something in your own hometown, and you shouldn't be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. I watch a lot of my compete, competing businesses. They might take a $200,000 loan, right? And by the time they're done building, it took them four months and you start paying the loan back, already you've got like, oh, I've got a $4,000 payment every month, and I've only got $5,000 of revenue coming in. Mm -hmm. So already I've got this money sitting in the bank, but I'm running at a loss every single month. The Aquarium Co-op, on the other hand, has been profitable every single month that's ever been open except for one when it uh, rained more in the Sahara Desert than it did in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So it was such a great summer, no one was buying fish. (laughs) Uh, And I just think those are, you know, people, what, what those principles will do is they'll put the delay on someone's great idea. Everyone thinks it's a great idea to go buy a car tomorrow. They're like, oh, it's going to be awesome. But if you wait on it, pretty soon you're like, well, maybe it's not that car. Maybe I don't need a new car. And that's the same thing with business is you just you get in, you get excited. You're like, your job sucks right now. There's a space that opened up that you know is just right for a bakery or whatever it is you're going to do. And the time is now. i got to go now. And they're so afraid, like, well, maybe this opportunity will never come open again. And that, that's true. Maybe it never will. But it doesn't, it doesn't make, a good, uh, make it a good idea to go against odds. Like, we, we ran into this just in the last three months, right? We, are, we were looking for a warehouse for 
the Aquarium Co-op online e-commerce. We've radically outgrown ours. And we were looking at different spaces. We found the perfect spot. It was great. It had all the amenities I want for my employees, all the lunch spots. It was you know, fairly close within drivable distance of my home. Great. Rent was great, except it was already under contract. And so we went and we looked at another one. It was twice the price. I think that one was about $15,000 a month. And I ended up pulling out of it because I'm like, this is not right. This is not – this is – this is us moving too fast. We fell in love with a different warehouse, and now we want a warehouse so bad mm. that we're willing to get the wrong space. It had nowhere for employees to go to lunch. It had it was split into two levels. That doesn't make sense for a warehouse. It all these things. So I pulled out of it, and then just this last week, we found out uh, just – happened to be that we went to a bakery and we stopped by that warehouse and found out it was no longer under contract and we now have signed the lease so you're the first person to actually hear that we awesome. actually you know so now we have a basically a, a 9000 square foot warehouse that we only had a 1000 square foot warehouse and so we'll be moving a lot of operations and doing all that but it it worked out and so that's 3 months and like my team had given up like this guy's never going to allow us to get a bigger warehouse and you know that was the one and they were all set on it they were set on the idea of we want a bigger space. That's going to be so nice instead of waiting and finding the right spot. Now, that doesn't work for everyone, but I fully believe, and I told them, I go, when we find the next spot within the next two years, I 100% will move on it when it's the right spot, not just the next spot, not just one that will work, when it's the right one. We're not in a rush to make that transition. And just like you shouldn't be in a rush, you know, if you've gone 40 years in your life and never opened up your uh, you know, your hobbyist store, what's another year, right? Like it's just getting ready. And so that's my advice is super slow. I am a very conservative business guy, but it makes me, once I'm going, it's, you know, once you start rolling that ball, there's so much mass there, it's hard to stop it also. And so, yeah, we could hit a golf ball and it zings ahead of me, but it's going to lose momentum. My momentum will keep going forward through all the, all the speed bumps and everything. And that's my big advice is slow, steady, calculated. There's always another deal around the corner. A lot of people go, this is a really good deal. And that happens all the time. But there's always another better deal down the road. I think one of your big keys to successes too, though, is that you refuse to compromise your integrity. You absolutely, like, mm -hmm. if someone told me, yeah, Corey ripped me off, I'd be like, you're an idiot. Like, because like, I don't think Corey spent the last seven years of his life building this business to, to rip you off for 13 bucks. Right, like, like it just, like it's will, not yeah. even, it's not even plausible. Like, okay, I don't know, you bought a bottle of Easy Carbon and dumped the whole bottle in or something because you didn't mm -hmm. listen. I, I, I it, it's impossible for someone to damage your reputation with like scuttlebutt like that because you live and breathe the integrity. That's why there's a lot of products you'd like to have, you don't have mm -hmm. them yet because you can't do them the way that you want to yet, and you don't want to put your name on something. Mm -hmm. And so I'd add that to your list, like refusing to compromise your integrity. You might move slower, like you're saying, but the people you bring with you stay with you. They don't go mm -hmm. anywhere because they know they can trust you. And uh, I think that's been a, probably a big part of your success. I know it has been here for us. I mean, mm -hmm. we do about $3 million a year of sales on Amazon for mm -hmm. affiliate product. Right. Just, just for affiliate product. I mean, everything from cooking stuff for your, your kitchen to you know some prepper stuff and, and what have you. Mm -hmm. Because refusal to say you should buy this if it's crap. Just absolute mm -hmm. refusal. And like you add that to the things you just said, I think anybody that really wants to who will do the work can build a business today. A lot I, of people I don't want to. I genuinely believe that, yes. Yeah, yeah. a lot it's, of people don't want to. They don't want to do the work. They like the idea, and they don't understand. Like I, I'm sure you had it in your business. There's times 
where you're like, man, is this really all that it's cracked up to be? Is this really worth it? I remember when I started this podcast, there was a point where Dorothy's like, my, that's my wife. You met her. Um, she was like, you know, you, you're, you're working till 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you're getting up at 6 o'clock and going to your job. And then you're, you're working till 3 o'clock in the morning on this other thing, the podcast. And I said, mm-hmm. he was like, we want to see you. I said, give me six more months. Mm-hmm. Give me six more months. And six more months, I actually was an owner in the business I was working the job for. I sold out my interest and walked away and did this. Mm-hmm. been doing it for 10 years now. And it, you will have that come to Jesus moment in mm-hmm. any business you build. You will have that point where you are ready to just quit. And yep. the, 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 the critical point there is you need to figure out, is it something you need to work through? Or have you made the wrong choice? And it's really mm-hmm. hard sometimes to tell which one it is. But I think when you're passionate about what you're doing and you can see, even if you're not where you want to be, you can see it building, it makes it really easy to say, I just need to put put the throttle down and get through this. And that, that looks to me to be a lot of your story, man. So, man, I appreciate you being with us today. Can you, you mentioned the name of your business a bunch of times because you're good at marketing, but tell people how they can find your website your YouTube channel, yeah. stuff like that. And I'll make sure there's links for all this stuff in the show notes today as well. well. I appreciate that. So pretty much under Aquarium Co-op, so Aquarium C-O-O-P, sometimes we call it the Aquarium Coop because uh, there's no dashes in, in website addresses or anything. But we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, we're on uh, a website. We're pretty reachable. We'll answer questions like, you know, my, my sales pitch is, if you had a buddy that was selling your hobby, you would just buy from them. And that's all I'm trying to be. And a buddy wouldn't lead you, you know, astray. And if they would, they're no longer your buddy. So it's a buddy relationship. And in general, like we have to write policies of like guarantees and all that. But if it something comes out that it's not right, we just make it right. Like it's just, that's the thing you do. And that's the principle is my whole company has to operate. How would you feel with this transaction, this email, this saying, this thing that happened? Like, would you be angry this product broke two days after the warranty because you spent $150? If you answer that question, yes, we're going to warranty it anyway, even though we eat it. Because, you know, if we feel that way, if you, I empower all my employees, if you feel that way, don't do it. You know, like just make it right. We, we make it right. So that way, when I'm in the public, when I'm with someone, we know that we're doing the right thing. We'll not mesh with everyone. Out of everyone listening here, we're only going to resonate with half of you, but the people that we do resonate with are going to be very good friends. The people that we don't, maybe you'll respect what we do, but you go, ah, that's not for me. You know, you've got your best friends and you've got acquaintances. We're hoping to become your best friend. You can have an acquaintance like, yeah, we had dinner with them because we do that once a year to keep our neighbors happy, but you're not hanging out with them every Saturday working on a car or something like that. And that's where we hope we love us or hate us. We're going to get to that point of you'll know you're either on our team or you're not, but you respect our team. You might not be the Bulls fan, but hey, you recognize with those, those years with Jordan, those were incredible. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Well, hey, again, I appreciate you taking time to be on the show. I know when I approached you initially, like survival prepper, I mean, what? you know, <laughs> but like I said, we, we do a lot here with basically it's modern lifestyle design is what we teach here mm-hmm. and building resiliency in your life, whether that's so you can survive a storm or whatever um, mm-hmm. and building a business and developing that type of an income stream. You talk about resiliency. That is a huge part of what we teach, so I appreciate you being with us today. I want to say to anybody out there, if you're interested in um, fish, especially if you're like a beginner and you're deciding whether or not you want to do this, because I know with the number of people we have, there's got to be a ton of y'all out there, get by, check out Corey's channel, 
it is an incredible education and pretty much I would say at least try this if you're on his channel and you have a question before you ask use the search function for the channel because he's probably <laughs> done a video on it if you want to know the best 10 fish for beginners or best you know 10 fish for a 10 gallon he's got an entire playlists like that so definitely you know check that out thanks for being with us today Corey and if you know if you ever want to come back and, and shoot the breeze again uh, you'll always be welcome just get in touch with us and uh, thank you for being with us today hey I appreciate it thank you So great interview with Corey, and, and I really want to kind of drive home how much of an impact it makes on your lifestyle when you're able to build a successful business. And I guess fortuitously, Corey, Corey put out a video yesterday that just was amazing to me. So um, he was in Texas for the show we talked about, and I guess he got down to kind of the lakeside, Freeport, that general area toward uh, Matagorda area, a bit, in, a bit inland. And he got to this, this uh, do an interview on video with this guy that runs a fish farm down there. And it is a fish farm that farms fish for the pet industry, which is, <clears throat> you know, what you would expect from him. But they're farming cichlids and mollies and other live bears and really cool stuff like that. But this is amazing because there's a few things I wanted to point out. Number one, because of Corey having the business that he had, While he was out here, you got to take that trip down there and see this amazing place. And, of course, it's a tax deduction. And every dollar they don't get is a dollar you keep. It's a dollar you can use to uh, make your life better and a dollar they can't use to take away more of your liberty. So we're all about that. But even just having the time and the flexibility to go to this place, this place is amazing because even if you didn't want to, uh, to grow fish for the pet trade, like... The, the, the implications for agriculture and aquaculture that this amazing place has is awesome. I've never seen anything so natural in my life. Um, there's you know hundreds and hundreds of stock tanks and 55-gallon drums and stuff, and they're all sitting in these, these trenches. The water runs to them. They overflow. The water goes in the trench, flows back to the sump, and so on and so on and back through. They never do any water changes. They just top off. And the whole thing is this incredible South Texas you know, ecosystem, and even though it's South Texas, it's more like the tropics because it's all in high tunnels. And uh, I mean, there's like mangrove trees growing in between the tanks, and there's snakes crawling around. Don't get too squeamish. Even the guys, guys found a, a rattler or two and, and, and relocated them. I mean, there's like little Texas water snakes and little ribbon snakes, like just hanging out, uh, dogs running around in there, and it's fascinating. The guy is producing, you know, hundreds of thousands of fish and shrimp every year, doing it all natural. So I'm going to include a link not only to the video that we talked about during the interview where Corey's talking about the, the things you do to set up and make a, a, a business successful uh, from a standpoint of running a fish store, which is what made me get him on. I'm going to put that video on as well, and I really think you should check it out. I did put it on uh, Facebook and, uh, and uh, Twitter yesterday for people as well so that people could check it out. Just fantastic, and it's, it's what I've been saying. You build a successful business that you control, and you have more control and say in your life than you will ever have working for somebody else. It's not easy, because if it was, everybody would do it. But it is simple, because even though it's not easy, anybody can do it. It's whether you're willing to do the work, the research, and have that gut check. Have that point 
where you're almost there, but you're not quite, and you're wondering, do I push on and push through that and adapt? And you can build a business on any passion you have. This is 2019. This is not 1989. With the Internet today, there isn't something that you can really love that you can't build a business on. So there's no reason to do anything except follow your passion. But you have to marry passion to solid, practical business skills. Another note here as we wrap up, I mentioned that I want to maybe do some format change in the show. Uh, here's why. I've been doing this show now almost 11 years. We'll have our 11-year anniversary in June. And for the last few years, four, I'd say, we've settled into a real standard schedule. Monday is a feedback show, Tuesdays is just Jack show, Wednesday is an interview show, Thursday is a listener calls show, and Friday is an expert counsel show. Overall, I like it, but I think if you fall too much into that kind of a routine, that you can maybe not bring enough new stuff to the table. And it's my job to bring the new stuff, the innovative stuff to the table. That spurs a discussion. That starts a feedback from the 200,000 of you guys that listen every day, and we move the show forward. And I feel like we might be in a little bit of a stall pattern. When I started this show in 2008, it was just me. It was me, a recorder, and my car. And every day I had to get in and come up with something to talk about. A bit into it, once there were some listeners, you know, we might have one feedback show a week where people would send in emails and stuff like that. Um, and I'd make note cards off it, and just that still was just me. Um, I think that we need more of those. Whenever I run a poll on Facebook group or something like that and say, what are your favorite shows? Inevitably, the number one selected show are the standalone shows. And so what I'm thinking about doing is maybe going to every other week with the listener call show. And so every other week, there won't be one standalone show with just me teaching something. There'll be two. It's more work for me, but I think that maybe I need to do some more work and I need to you know, bring some new tech concepts, etc. to the podcast. That said, I would like your suggestions. I would like your suggestions TSPC, as always in the subject line, and just say, I think it'd be great if you did a show on, boom, just high-level topic, and maybe that'll help me come up with some new ideas. I might even, like, you send me an idea and go, well, I already did that a bunch, but maybe if we take this over here and do that and take this other idea here, you see where I'm going with this. I want to push more new lifeblood from the standpoint of content, theory, uh, projects, etc., into the show. Help me do that. Let me know your thoughts on it. You can always email me, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. I don't have a secret email. But if you don't put TSPC in the subject line, you might end up in the junk folder and I might never find you. So always do that. With that, as we wrap the show up today, I want to remind you also, you need to call the jerk line. If you don't call the jerk line, you can't be on the jerk show. And we do have uh, the jerk show coming up. Uh, for those that are maybe new, maybe Corey sent you here because uh, I know he has a pretty big following. I started out a long time ago saying you will never follow the principles that we teach here and call me up and go, Jack, I paid off all my debt. Now I have all the stupid money and I don't know what to do with it. You're a jerk. Or Jack, because of you, our house didn't burn down. You're such a jerk. Or Jack, because of you, we have a giant garden providing half of our food. So now we have a smaller food bill and my family's healthier. You're such a jerk. Well, a few years ago, people started actually calling me a jerk and saying those things as a joke. So for episode 2500 to celebrate... Uh, right out, it'll be just a little bit past 11 years of the show. We are going to have the Jack, you're a jerk show. You call the jerk line. You say, Jack, you're a jerk because. And then tell me the good things in your life that TSP and our communities have brought to you. The jerk line is at 
877-644-1345. Call in, tell me why I'm a jerk. You get two minutes to tell me why. With that, let's talk about our song of the day today, man. Our song of the day today is by Dan Fogelberg. And Dan was one of my favorite artists. I've played a lot of his music in the past, generally more of his softer music. This is still not like hard rock. I mean, I don't think Dan Fogelberg ever did a hard rock song. But it's a little bit more of a um, higher tempo song than most of his work, certainly than most of his hits. It's called Face the Fire. This song came out in the wake of the Three Mile Island nuclear uh, accident. And Dan was very much on the nuclear is a bad idea train, and uh, it was a protest song, you know, toward the end of the great era of protests, the 1970s. And uh, I respect Dan's opinion here. I think he's one of the nicest guys that ever came out of music. I think if you know the story of Dan Fogelberg, it's, it's ridiculous. This is a guy, well, I'm going to go to California and get a music contract. So he drops out of college, goes to uh, California, a year later has a music contract. You just don't do that, but he did. Incredibly talented, great writer. I disagree, um, and I agree at the same time. I think the technology that a lot of the nuclear plants running today have been built with is, is outdated. But I also think most of these plants, you know, have not been upgraded, you know, expanded, decommissioned, and replaced because it's almost impossible to build a new nuclear plant today. I think nuclear energy has the potential to be one of the safest forms of energy and the cleanest forms of energy we can produce. But we do have risks, and people that say we don't look at Fukushima, look at Chernobyl. Both of those things happened after this song for two totally different reasons. But the other side of it is I actually believe that people have overreacted to the danger. And I, when I looked up this song, the video of it, there were people talking about the entire Pacific Ocean is dead because of Fukushima. No, it's not. It's just not, it's, it's just not true. You know, um, if Fukushima has just actually crossed a, a major threshold in the cleanup with now actually being able to remove the spent fuel rods, with not all of them, but a lot of them, and they weren't sure that they would ever, like in our lifetime, be able to do that. Uh, but that's, that's old tech and built on the ocean where tsunamis happen. You know, when you look at nations like France, there's a lot of things France do, does that I don't agree with. But in France, they have nuclear power plants right in the middle of the town. And no one blinks because they're built with the most modern technology available. I am a huge advocate also of renewable energy. And I think nuclear and renewables together can do what neither can do alone. I don't think we can transition to 100% renewable energy in 10 years or 20 years. I think that is impossible because math. But I think we can transition to mostly renewables over 20 to 30 years with nuclear being the bridge. However, like I said, I can understand why Fogelberg felt this way at the time. I really can. And that's an important thing to think about with our opinions, political, activist, and otherwise. Might be the case if the man had was still around, he might have changed his mind. Unfortunately, Dan's one of those many amazing musicians that left us way too young. But with that, face the fire from Dan Fogelberg. And this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.